Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Good morning. You can go ahead and take your seat. If I have not met you yet, my name is Mariah. Um, I had a whole introduction planned, but he kind of already introduced me for me, so I'll just jump right in. The title of my message today is Anything But That, and I encourage you to take notes just like he did, and you can write on a notepad. You can type in your phone. I won't think you're texting. You can also write on the person beside you. Whatever you think is appropriate. Three months ago, I got married, and it was awesome, and I was very excited. I brought a picture to prove it. Um, But John, you've probably seen him running around the plaza with, like, beautiful long golden locks and a camera. And we got engaged last December. And for two people who had zero wedding planning experience, we had the most confidence in our abilities. We were like... Look, I mean, he was working like crazy. I'm in school. I'm working. And we're like, what could go wrong? How could we not plan a wedding in under a year? This couldn't be that hard. People do it all the time. So we thought, you know what will make this easy? Is if we just sit down and we make a list of just all the tasks. And then we split them evenly. And I will say, one of the lists was much longer. And it was mine. But we split them (laughs) evenly. And... Because of the way I am as a person, I naturally immediately started knocking out the stuff on my list because I was like, if it doesn't happen now, the world will explode. So I'm just, I'm tackling this list. And then I would check in with John after a couple weeks and I was like, how's your list going? He was like, it's going great. And I was like, okay, awesome. Like, did you print or save the dates? And he was like, no, I haven't actually done anything on the list. And I was like, oh, how is it going great? I don't understand. And... We did this a couple times where I'd be like, how's it going? He's like, great. And I was like, what have you done? And he's like, nothing. I'm like, how is that great? I don't understand. And finally, we keep having this conversation, and he would usually respond with like, babe, we have so much time. It doesn't all have to happen now. I don't know if you've planned a wedding in under a year. There is no time. And we, I'm freaking out. He would be like, we have so much time. We got plenty of stuff. I did all this other stuff. Like, I've looked into suits. I've looked into other things. I mean, I've been working like ton. It's all for you, babes, so that we are not anxious when we get married. And I'm like, I just need you to print the save the dates so that people will come to the wedding because there's no wedding right now. And we did this for a really long time. And rest assured, we did successfully get married. And I brought this picture to just prove it was very awesome. And here's the thing, you've probably had this experience too, where you ask something specific of someone, and instead of doing that, they do something else and expect you to be just as grateful, but you're not, you're not as grateful because you want the thing you asked for. It's kind of like when you ask your friends to help you move, and they're like, I will so help you move, and they do not. But they invite you to coffee a couple weeks later, and it's not the same. Or if you ask your employee or your coworker to do a time-sensitive task, 
And then instead of doing it, they do a series of less important tasks. And they're like, but I was busy with all this. Or when you ask your partner to help you get work done around the house, and instead they buy you flowers. And I love flowers, but it's not the same. It's not. And here's the thing, you've also been on the other end of it though, where you were the person that someone asked something of and you didn't wanna do it, so you did something else. And they should be just as grateful. Because when I do it, I have good reasons. But when they do it, they're lazy. And that's just the way it is. And we make up all kinds of excuses. We're like, well, what they're asking is ridiculous. I mean, why do they even need that? The thing I actually did was better. If you think about it, it costs more. They don't even understand what they're asking of me. It's too much. Asking me to print the save the dates, it's too much. Our save the dates were awesome. I just want to rest assured, it, it, did, it did happen. I don't know what your thing is, but I know you have one because we all have our stuff. There comes a point in every relationship where the thing that you need to do is the thing you don't want to do. And this is true of our human relationships, but it's also true of our relationship with God. Does anybody else do this thing where you ask God for direction you're like, Lord of the universe, what should I do? And then he tells you, and you're like, that was a wonderful first draft, let's keep going. And you're like, I don't wanna do that thing, um, but you know what, I could do this other thing that's much easier for me and actually benefits me way more. Um, I don't wanna find a new job, but I will complain about my boss loudly to everyone, those are the same. Um, I don't want to start being kinder to my family, but I will buy them expensive gifts. It's the same thing. I, I don't want to address my bad habits that are ruining my life and relationships, but I'll start tithing. I will. I'll do that 90-day giving challenge. And it's so funny because I usually want God to fix my situation, but God often seems more interested in helping me fix me. And I don't like that. Um, and I imagine you probably don't either. Because we all find ways to sidestep what God is asking us to do by doing what he's not asking us to do. And we are not the first people in history to do this. Thank goodness. And to show you how ingrained of a human issue this is, I'm taking you all the way back to the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you a little preface because the Old Testament was wild. There's a lot of weird stuff going on, um, but I don't want us to miss the lesson in the middle. In the time of the Old Testament, the world was ruled by a lot of barbaric and tribalistic societies. It was very violent and like war-ridden. This is a very different time. However, I think it's incredible that God is willing to work with people no matter what their circumstance or level of understanding is. So, to our modern sensibilities, it can be kind of hard to wrap our head around what's happening, um, but bear with me so we can catch the lesson in the middle. And if you need more information where you're like, I just don't know, I don't know about this, I have provided you with Pastor Adam's email on the screen. Um, <laughs> you can blow up his email with Old Testament questions or just for fun, I don't know you, I don't know what you want to talk to him about, but now you can. He's nodding his head no, but I'm saying yes. Um, I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 2 through 3. <clears throat> this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Been there. I mean, he tells us this all the time. A little brief history of the Amalekites. When the Israelites were freed from slavery, um, the Amalekites were attacking them during their travels. So there's a really ugly history between these two people groups. And although this is a really grim command from God, it wasn't entirely uncommon in the Old Testament, and it was referred to as a harem, which is the devotion of an entire spoil to God as an offering. And in this scenario, uh, the spoil is every Amalekite and everything they own. So pretty small. Um, And in this verse, we have God who is speaking to Saul through the prophet Samuel. And that speaks to the fact that God often instructs people through other people. And I'm curious, who does God use to give you perspective, advice, and direction in your life? Just because you have a wise advice giver in your life doesn't mean you're going to take it. Saul sure doesn't. Verse 7, then Saul attacked the Amalekites. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. Fantastic start. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. We've fallen off the wagon. Um, Saul did destroy everything, like God said, He just didn't destroy the stuff he wanted. And I think that's why Saul's a lot like us, because we tell God, like, I will make any sacrifice for you, Lord. Anything. Just anything for you, God. Except for the hard ones. Anything else, though, like, as long as it's not too uncomfortable, or if it's not fun, or it costs me too much, or takes too long, I'm not going to do it. But anything that's easy or inexpensive or doesn't really inconvenience me at all, it's yours. And you know how I know Saul is a lot like us? He doesn't just do the wrong thing. He also lies about it. Verse 13. (laughs) When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Lies. We know it's lies. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? If you don't take anything away from this message, I want you to take this. Please only say that to people when you catch them in a lie. (laughs) Saul only is going to admit his wrongdoing when he is caught. And even then, he's not going to fully admit it. He's going to halfway admit it. He answers in verse 15. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. It wasn't me who did wrong. It was the soldiers. Am I in charge of the soldiers? Yes, but that's besides the point. It's not, it doesn't matter. I feel like this would be comparable to if you told your toddler not to draw on the wall with Sharpies, and then they drew on the wall with Sharpies, but they drew what they thought you looked like, and they're like, but mom, but dad, I thought it would be okay because it was for you. And my parents would disagree. I did do that. Um, I was a toddler. It, doesn't, it wasn't recent. Um, 
I think this speaks to the fact that we don't want to take responsibility for the ways we sabotage ourselves because if it's someone else's fault, it's their job to fix it. But if it's my fault, I have to fix it. And I don't want to fix it. And scripture is not the only place that this comes up. Psychology talks about this too as a defense mechanism called rationalization. The American Psychological Association defines it as the attempt to justify behavior through the use of logical excuses that may fit but are not true. They further say, rationalizations are used to defend against feelings of guilt, maintain self-respect, and protect oneself from criticism. I'm going to let you use your imagination for all the ways you think you rationalize your behavior, and I'm sure the people that live with you would love to tell you. But here we have Saul rationalizing his disobedience to God by saying, I only disobeyed you so I could bless you, Lord. And Samuel does not agree. In verse 22, Samuel responds, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Here, to heed means to hear and listen and obey, whereas the fat of rams is referring to the most delicious and valuable part of the animal that was used in sacrifices to God. We use it as our barbecues, but either way, it was really valuable. And here Samuel is saying, there's no sacrifice that is better than your obedience. In other words, God is more interested in the way you live your everyday life than in the religious practices you keep, which is hard. We kind of say, like, I don't have any character at all, but I, I made that sacrifice. I yelled at a barista this morning, but I tithed when those buckets came around. I, I gossiped about my coworkers at work, but I raised my hands during worship, so it's okay. And God is essentially saying, if I had to choose, put your hands down in worship and stop gossiping. I lost my place. One second. <laughs> the New Testament authors talk about this too. Um, this isn't something we just find as important then in the past, but also now. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, it says, If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Obedience is important, but not because God wants tyrannical control over our lives, but because it's important for our own well-being, because God always has our best interest in heart. Here's the reality, and John, you can just close your ears. There's a big difference between me and God. I know, you might have been like, I had no idea. Sometimes I tell John what to do, but so does God. And the difference is that God is never wrong. But I am, rarely, but sometimes it happens. And, and God always has our best interest at heart. So us being obedient to him is more for us, really, than it is for him. Because God will always give us good advice, but he will never force us to take it. In verse 24, says, Then Samuel said, Whoa. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. 
Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Um, what a bummer. That would be so heartbreaking. Saul says that he was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. And it's so easy for us to judge here, because we're like, you got clear instruction on what you're supposed to do, and you just didn't do it, and then you lied about it. And then because we were afraid of what these other men were going to say. And we do the same thing, where we prioritize other people's opinions over God's instructions. And when it doesn't work out, we instantly backpedal. We're like, no, take, let me come back. And what God is saying here is, I love you and I care about you, but I can't let you be king anymore. The opportunity for Saul is gone, but God's love is not. God's love is never gone. And some of you are wrapped up in stuff right now, and what's at stake isn't God's love for you. It's the opportunity he has for you. Because our disobedience doesn't disqualify us from God's love, just from the opportunities he has for us. Think of it like this. If you cheat on the bar exam, you don't get to be a lawyer anymore. At least not a good one. But God still loves you and he cares about you. If you don't regularly take care of your body, God still loves you and you still get to go to heaven. You just might end up in heaven a lot sooner than you'd like. If you don't address your anger issues, God still loves you and accepts you, but the people who live with you probably won't want to live with you anymore. God's love for us isn't dependent on our obedience to him, but our love for God is demonstrated through our obedience to him. All of this reminds me of a challenge that Pastor Adam gave us at Dream. And if you haven't been to Dream, you really should because it was awesome. He said this, and the room kind of fell quiet. He said, immediately act on what God is asking you to do as if he was serious and you truly trusted him. And I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I kind of know what that thing is. And it's really a lot easier to ignore because I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to do anything but that. That sounds scary. But I'm really curious, what is something that you've been stalling on being obedient about this year, that you're going to commit to taking action on in 2024. I'm going to finally start trusting God with my finances. I'm going to finally start going to therapy. I'm going to stop making excuses for missing church. I don't know what your thing is, but I'm sure you do. But tomorrow we are beginning a brand new year, and... I can't really think of a better time to take action because I can't really think of any excuses not to. We all do the thing where it's like, I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to start on the new year. Well, tomorrow is both a Monday and the new year, so this is the perfect time. And I really want to challenge you to take time today to think through what God is asking you to do this next year and to fully commit yourself to acting on it. But don't keep it to yourself. Instead, I want you to invite someone that you trust will support you and tell them about what you are planning on doing alongside God in 2024. I'm really curious about what your life will look like if you really started trusting God fully and if he was serious. I'm curious what your life would look like, what your relationships would look like, 
what you would be like. I want you to make this year the year that you do what God is asking you to do instead of saying anything, anything but that. And this is what I want to pray over your day and your year and your life. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, God, thank you. Thank you that we all are here to worship you this morning. Thank you that we have all come here from different weeks, from different lives. I pray over this next year, Lord, I pray for faith. I pray that we would begin to trust you fully. Instead of finding different excuses, Lord, I pray that we would commit ourselves to showing our love for you through our obedience to you because you are good. Everything you have for us is good. And Lord, I pray for strength and bravery. Lord, I pray that we would all have our souls stilled so that we could hear your voice, to hear what things you want to do in and through our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.